0: University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. We'll take a look at the book of Psalms chapter 148. For the last four weeks, for those who haven't been joining us, we've been working our way through a series entitled Forging Through the Fog, How the Church Leads a Grace-Filled Way in an Era of Partisan Politics. Now, through God's Word, we have seen that there is danger in believing that God favors a political party or a politician, that we are called to be truth-seekers and tellers, an era of misinformation, and that those that we do not see eye to eye with are our fellow children of God and should be treated as such. And we also looked at that the church is called to be a heterogeneous community, embracing diversity of perspectives and experience. The challenge facing American Christians today is this tremendous polarizing nature of partisan politics. The American political system has drawn an apparent line in the sand, forcing people to pick a side. Our partisan world has entrenched family member against family member, friend against friend, church member against church member, faith sojourner against faith sojourner. And for what? We divide ourselves with so much hatred and vitriol over politicians that we will never meet, ...that will never do us a personal favor and will never directly impact our lives. Now, I made a promise to you at the beginning of this series that you would not hear from my lips the names of candidates... ...or any insinuation of who you should and should not vote for, nor theologically guilting you into casting a particular vote. Instead, what you heard from me was preaching from the truths found in the Scriptures, empowering Jesus' followers... To navigate these very challenging times the elections behind us either your candidates won or lost so what's next for this we take a look at the book of Psalms chapter 148 the psalmist writes praise the Lord praise the Lord from the heavens praise him in the heights above praise him all his angels praise him all his heavenly host praise him Sun moon Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at His commandment they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths lightning and hail snow and clouds stormy winds that do his bidding you mountains and all hills fruit trees and all cedars wild animals and all cattle small creatures and flying birds kings of the earth and all nations you princes and all rulers of the earth young men and women old men and children let them praise the name of the Lord For his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the word or phrase you're definitely going to take away from the scripture this morning is raised up a horn for his people. It's like the psalmist didn't know that he could throw in a variety uh, of writing styles within this particular verse because we get the idea through this repetitive nature of praise the Lord over and over again. We get it. Praise the Lord. The word here is hallelujah. I'm sure you've heard it uh, Sunday school or heard it in worship. In fact, I'm pretty sure we heard it in one of the songs that was sung earlier. It's the combination of of two Hebrew words, Hale and Hya. Hale means praise, celebrate, boast, foolish glory, and Yah is the most sacred name of God. So not only does the psalmist begin and end with hallelujah, but he also uses the word Hale, praise, ten other times in the text. Praise the Lord, praise Him, praise Him, on and on and on he goes. And I think one thing is very clear That God should be praised, that God should be celebrated, boasted upon, given the glory. God should be praised in the highest heavens and beings and on earth by creatures and humans. When I was in college, one of my roommates and I hosted a, a bunch of friends over for the UNC Duke basketball game. Now, without a doubt, Duke and Carolina is the biggest college basketball rivalry every single year. Now, this goes back and forth in this game that we're particularly watching, and Carolina goes up by five with two minutes left in the game, and it goes to a commercial break. Our other roommate, who had been hanging out in his room the entire time and didn't care about college basketball, came strolling into this room full of people, walked up to the TV, flipped the source over to the Xbox, and sat down and started playing video games. The room went quiet in stunned silence, and I blurted out, What the heck do you think you're doing, David? He replied, Well, clearly the game is over. Carolina is up by five points with two minutes left in the game. Plus, this is my TV anyways, and I can do whatever I want to do with it. Oh, yeah, I replied. Well, you're sitting on my couch with your feet propped up on my futon, eating my chips, drinking my drink, and playing with the controller that I bought. Needless to say, he got booed out of the room by the 12 other people watching the game. And by the way, Duke overcame that measly five-point deficit by winning the game by 12 points. In a way, that's what the psalmist is reminding us, that we might have bought the TV, but God owns the futon, the chips, the drink, and the game controller. As you go throughout this list of celestial entities, sun, moon, stars, astromic uh, factors like rain and clouds and lightning and hail and thunder and wind, oceanic creatures, the enormous mountain ranges, the towering trees, the beasts of the earth, princes and rulers, kings and nations, it's becoming more and more clear what the psalmist is trying to say God rules everything. There is no change in the weather that is more unruly than God. There is no craggy peaks or deep chasm that can intimidate God. There is no more ferocious beast on earth than God. The ravishing winds of a tornado, the devastating waves of a tsunami has nothing on God. And equally as important, there is no king, politician, president, emperor, queen, empress, congressman, congresswoman, nation, army, or empire that flanks the might and power and prowess and cunning and wisdom and creative force that is God. God rules everything. I had a professor in college who asked a famous question, so what? And what a great question for us to consider because we all know these things. We have big fancy theological words for our understanding of God's rule, the sovereignty of God. We sing it in songs every single Sunday in various dynamic forms of praise the Lord. We pray it as often as we pray the big names for God such as Savior, Messiah, Master, and Lord. So what's the problem? Why do I have that whimsical smirk on my face? I guess I'm wondering, if God is all these things to us, and to the world, then why do we replace God with politicians, political parties, and agendas? I think one of the reasons that we justify the substitute of God for politicians, political parties, and political agendas is because we've convinced ourselves that certain political figures and agendas are doing the bidding of God. Name the agenda, and it can be justified with scripture. Name the politician, and he or she can be justified by faith by using it to sway voters. She's not a Christian, so I can't vote for her. He's a good Christian man. She's a good Christian person, has values. There is no way that a Christian could support fill-in-the-blank. are the most common talking points among Christian voters in America. Among evangelicals in America, the faith tradition that University Baptist Church comes out of, the faith affiliation of prospective political candidates matters more than we realize. In fact, a recent Pew Research study found that 60% of evangelicals support the claim that faith matters to their politician. In my lifetime, I cannot remember a single candidate running for office that did not mention his or her religious values on the campaign trail. Data backs the fact finding that nearly 92, excuse me, 99.2% of politicians in office claim to have a faith that they are part of. Faith affiliation seems to be a prerequisite for many people's voting patterns. And yet, do we Christians, seeking to put Christians in office, actually hold them accountable for living out the way of Jesus? In our divisive world of partisan politics where we send people to Washington based on which side they're on, does our faith honestly inform the way that we vote? For many, voting is an act of faith. However, keeping politicians accountable for their actions and policies, is that not equally an act of faith? Are we Christian voters concerned with policies and procedures that contradict the most important commands of God, which is to love God and love neighbor. But back to my original question, have we swapped God's dominion for political figures, parties, and agendas? Jennifer and I try our best uh, to be the kind of parents that don't put our kids in front of screens all the time. And we realize that it's super easy to just hand the girls the phone when we're busy and they're bored. And not shaming any parents that do that because we've been there, done that, and often find ourselves in that place. But we were concerned a few years back when we gave our parents the idea to give the girls Amazon Kindles uh, for Christmas. Uh, and to make matters worse, it's, it's a pretty cumbersome device, and so we deleted all the mindless apps and games that were on there. And while we've done our best to delete the stuff on there, we also have to depend on the honesty of our girls to use their time of what they're actually saying they're doing on the tablets. And if we really want to see what they're doing, Amazon will email parents a report of the apps used and the amount of time used by those particular apps. Now, while we can't get an Amazon report on what holds dominion over our lives, if we examine a little closer, we might be able to see if we've swapped God Out for politicians, parties, and agendas. If we have given more to a political candidate or political party than the church this year, we know who holds dominion. For Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we spent more time in a day, week, and month this year, talking, watching, and reading about political candidates and parties more than the time that we actually spent in God's Word, reading and talking and learning about God, then we know who holds dominion in our life. If we are more apt to put political stickers on our cars and signs in our yard than physically display our journey or talk about our journey with Jesus to other people, then we know who holds dominion. If we have more passion and conversations, text exchanges, or social media media interactions about politicians and political parties this year than anything to do with Jesus, then we know who holds dominion in our lives. If we spent more time wishing and hoping that our favorite political figure and party will make the changes we want to see in this world rather than getting on our hands and knees and praying for God for resolution and wisdom and empowerment for us to act, then we know who holds dominion. If we blindly elect politicians into office with no regard for their character and integrity and treatment of others only so that the policies we desire benefit our power and our wallets then we know who holds dominion. If we're willing to listen and to believe and endorse falsehood and misleading information instead of using our God-given brains to think for ourselves and to be beacons of truth in this world then we know who holds dominion. And if we've been so concerned in this entire series that the pastor might insinuate anything about my candidate, my party, or my policies more than we cared about thinking deeply about Jesus' call in our lives than we know who holds dominion. Every year, author and public theologian Zach Hunt puts out a bracket around March Madness. However, it's not a team that he believes is going to win the NCAA tournament. Instead, It's various ways that Jesus has been mascotted within the American culture in the last year. The bracket is called the American Jesus Madness. And within this bracket, you will find a variety of ways in which Jesus has been treated as a puppet for the agenda of endless types of people. It's a brilliant way to show us that while we claim to follow Jesus, we also turn Jesus into a mascot to do our bidding. And this is the crucial point Of our conversation because this is where most people get lost into merging their politics with their faith, giving dominion of political figures and parties and agendas rather than God and their life. Despite our best efforts, Jesus cannot be a caricature of our political bidding. Jesus is not a puppet for us to control for what we desire in politics and within politician. Don't confuse in God we trust within God's name we justify. God does not remain on the lips of those who justify their work at the hands of God and exploit the masses and desire for religious rightness by emboldening the cause of Jesus. As one author put it, God will always stand for justice, righteousness, and compassion. Our Creator moves in a world in ways that would differ from how you and I might behave If we had God's authority and power. God's inspired timing and judgment are God's own, not ours. God does not do the bidding of politicians and political parties and government, for God has dominion and superiority and might over all of these things. As N.T. Wright put it, the point about truth and about Jesus and his followers bearing witness to it is that truth is what happens when humans use words to reflect God's wise ordering in a world and so shine light into its dark corners, bringing judgment and mercy where it is badly needed. Empires cannot cope with this. They make their own truth, creating facts on the grounds in the distressing, normal way of violence and injustice. With this never-ending pandemic of of 2020, movie studios have pushed off their biggest budget films in 2020 in hopes that moviegoers will eventually return to the theaters. And one of those movies is Kong versus Godzilla. I just love looking at this picture because it's amazing how film technology has come a long way in adult men wearing costumes and hand slapping each other in front of model skyscrapers. But the concept of King Kong and Godzilla is brilliant. For those that don't know the story, humans discover these tremendously gigantic beasts attempting to to capture them to do human will. But what they don't realize is that these beasts were actually created and evolved to such size to protect Earth from other gigantic creatures that seek to consume and destroy everything. So instead of ruling over humans, kong and godzilla want to protect it this sermon illustration is brought to you by kong versus godzilla in theaters whenever this pandemic ends see that's the unique twist to god's dominion over us the psalmist points out to us that god is over all things that god spoke and life came into existence And then the psalmist points out boldly in verse 14, emboldening his readers to remember that this powerful and almighty knowing and creative force that is God reaches out to intimately interact in our lives. And he has raised up his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants Israel, the people close to his heart. The horn symbol is of strength. The horn would be blown in battles for victory and jubilant praise for success. And it's it's not unintentional that the psalmist spends 13 verses displaying God's dominion and power over the earth only at the end to give us a peek into God's heart. You see, it's not despite of, but in light of God's dominion that we are created, loved, and empowered by God. God did not so lovingly give us life, provide for our needs, equip us to take on the troubles that we face in this world, only to see us handed over blindly to political parties and agendas and figures to use it to gain power and wealth and control. Instead, God so lovingly gives us life provides for what we need and equips us to face the troubles we face in this world as collaborators of God's good work of transforming this world. Being reminded that we are not God and that we have not created the world actually emboldens our understanding of humanity for we understand that in all the wonderful accomplishments human beings are created and yet we are flawed creatures And yet God dwells within our lives and empowers us to go out within community and society and government and countries that cannot exist without people, especially people who are not like us. And yet we are called to work alongside other people in transforming this world. We are all creatures of one God who composed a distinct variety of expressions of humanity. We can find all the things wrong with each other, and yet God shows us that we are brought together for a good purpose in this world. Karl Barth, the great Swiss theologian, wrote this amazing retelling of the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem on Holy Week. He says, a real donkey is mentioned in the Bible. It's permitted to carry Jesus to Jerusalem. If I have done anything in this life of mine, I've done it to relate as the donkey that went on its way carrying this most important burden. The disciples had said to its owner, the Lord has need of it. And so it seems to have pleased God to have used me at the same time, just as I was in spite of all things, the most disagreeable thing, quite rightly as we are and will always said to be, thus that we might be used by God in this world. This whole thing is not about us. It's about the glory of God. It's about transforming this world into God's likeness. And God chooses us through love to empower us and save us to make a difference in our world and community. We are empowered by Christ to go forth, to be the change we want to see in this world. The election cycle has come and gone. Your candidate either won or lost. But what we must see is that in the last week's results, it does not change the simple and overwhelming fact that Jesus remains king. Did you know that elections will come and go? Jesus remains king. Whoever becomes president, Jesus remains king. Whoever is elected to the House and Senate, jesus remains king whoever is elected the governor of the state of louisiana jesus remains king whoever is appointed mayor of baton rouge jesus remains king whoever is a dictator of said country in some far-off place jesus remains king whoever has the leading economy in this world jesus remains king the psalmist reminds us that storms come and storms go that earth will quake and still, that young men grow old and new life is brought forth, that death come and go, that kings come and kings go, that empires rise and empires fall, yet God remains. But here is the thing. Jesus may be king over all of the earth, but that doesn't mean that we choose to live our lives by that universal fact. We can easily declare that Jesus is King during our one-hour time slots on Sunday mornings, when we make that once a month 10% of our income bank draft to the church, while at the same time allow our lives to be ruled by the kings and queens of political parties and nationalism. We recognize that the world as a whole, needs and longs for and aches and yearns and cries out for forgiveness. It's a collective global sigh. And yet in the reality of this, we can choose to do nothing. The truth that Jesus is King must be lived out in our lives. By choosing the way of Jesus, the way of our King, rather than the ones who come and go from office, those that come and go from slitting on this political throne of divisiveness. The truth that Jesus is king must be lived out in our lives by choosing the way of our king rather than an egocentric and nationalistic agenda that contradicts Jesus' call to love our neighbors as ourselves, despite who our neighbor might be, even if they have a different political persuasion, ethnicity, economic status, sexuality, and faith, and so on. The truth that Jesus is King can transform and inform how we live our lives, moving forward into this atmosphere of vitriol and anger and division. Jesus is King. Now let us go live our lives loved, transformed, and empowered by this truth to be a part of renewing God's world.